advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Good morning and welcome to this very special edition of Autism Live at a very special time. I'm Shannon Penrod and I'm here with the wonderful and fabulous Dr. Temple Grandin. We're so excited to have you live with us, Dr. Grandin. Good morning. That's great to be here. Uh, if you guys don't know Dr. Grandin, she is, oh my gosh, uh, a luminary in the autism community, the author of so many books, an amazing advocate speaking out for individuals on the autism spectrum. She's a college professor um, at, and, and an expert in the field of animal behavior. Um, you're going to correct me if I'm wrong about anything, or <laughs> but... Uh, you also are someone who speaks on the international stage uh, about autism, so we're thrilled to welcome her back to the show. And we're live right now on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. This show will be podcast later on, and it'll be available wherever you get your podcasts as a free download. Uh, there is no cost to you. Our fabulous Chris Desmond, our producer, is going to put on the screen for you some of the different ways that you can watch the show, some of the different platforms that it's available on. We always like to tell you that if you're listening to us in podcasts, there are ads that will run. Please um, embrace those because they're what keep the lights on. Uh, if you want to get the podcast with no ads, you can subscribe by going to glow.fm slash autism live. When you do that, it's a $5 a month uh, fee, but you get all of the Autism Live podcasts and Ask Dr. Doreen as well as a bonus with no ads. Uh, we also encourage you to check out our library of videos on YouTube because we have video and audio there, 14 years worth of uh, episodes, and we are now in our 14th year, Dr. Uh, Grandin. It's crazy. Um, but they're there and they're free of charge. So now I've, I've given all that information. Please feel free to write in. We're live right now. Many of you wrote in questions last night. We asked for questions ahead of time. But you have the opportunity to write in and um, give us questions for Dr. Grandin also this morning. We'll try to get to as many questions as possible. So Dr. Grandin, so thrilled to have you back. I want to start by talking about identity. We were with you, um, you came, you were given an award by Autism Care Today at the All Ghouls Gala, and I was in the car that was taking you back to the airport with Rachel Bird and Kobe Bird, the actor, Kobe Bird, and it was such a privilege to listen to you and Kobe have this wonderful conversation about identity, and I don't know if you, I think you recall this conversation, and, and in the middle of it, you were talking about how you identify. Do you recall this conversation, Dr. Grannon? Well, I, uh, yeah, I do recall some of it. And I've done a lot of thinking about identity. Yeah. And uh, my identity is career. Yeah. It's all about career. And I'd appreciate it if you could leave the screen so that I could see you, Sharon, instead of talking to myself. Oh, there we go. There we go. Yeah, so let's Chris just leave, it, leave the screen like that. Okay, cool. Um, but this is something I've done a lot of thinking about. Um, very much career is my identity. And think about it, a lot of last names or jobs, cook, baker, carpenter, those are for Smith even, would be some kind of a blacksmith, is a job. And um, I know a lot of people when they retire and they can't do their job anymore, uh, they have a real hard time with that. 
I'm still doing my job. I don't know what retirement is, but I am what I do. And I know there's a lot of controversy about identity. I don't really want to get into that. But one of the things that's helped me to have a satisfying life is being good at doing a job, having a skill that other people want. I have uh, uh, designed a lot of equipment. I've worked on a lot of animal welfare guidelines. In fact, I was just looking at emails before I logged in and one of the companies is doing an animal welfare committee, been involved in that. And I get a lot of satisfaction if the things I do can help help uh, conditions with animals or help somebody on the spectrum get a job. I'm just right now updating a bunch of my materials and was looking up materials on TACT, a great program in Denver, Teaching Autistic Community Trades, run by Danny Coons. And they have three parts to this program that make it effective. They have a camp where young autistic adults can try out different trades, welding, carpentry, fixing cars, find out what they like. Then they have, then they have the classes, six students per class, and they're trained both, I wanna emphasize both in mechanics and in life skills. They're expected to show up for work on time. They can't be a filthy slob that doesn't take showers. So life skills and mechanics both. And Danny has contracts with local car dealers, and car brands to take their students. They have about an 80% success rate. That is similar to a project search that was training people to do hospital jobs. But another thing that Danny's program does is when the the student is placed with a car dealership. There's a job coach there for two or three months. So there's follow-up, yeah. you know, uh, uh, and there's no interview process. They're just placed in the jobs because I think we need to get a lot less emphasis on interviews. Uh, uh, autistic people don't interview well. Now, the way I used to just do interviews when I'm designing jobs is I would just show people my drawings. Yeah. There's one of my drawings for my book, Thinking in Pictures. I would just show drawings i would sell my work rather than myself but we need to be doing more of these kind of programs um i have granddads that come up to me all the time and they tell me um they figure out they're on the autism spectrum when the kids get diagnosed but you see that granddad's in my age or maybe 10 years younger in the 50s social rules were taught Problems like not showing up for work on time, that's a non-issue for either me or for granddad. Um, being on time was something that was just pounded into us. I was given an alarm clock and I was expected to use it. Yeah. Uh, and we can talk about problems with executive function, but I don't think getting up in the morning is executive function. Now, one of the things that is, is the boss may go yak, 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 and the whole big long string of instructions. And this is where those instructions should be put like in a pilot's list bullet point format that would save a lot of jobs because working memory is bad and I, pilot list format that would save so many jobs it's such a simple accommodation absolutely i and i and i loved this whole conversation because I, you know there, and, and we're not going to get into the whole controversy about you know i'm not going for, there yeah i'm not going there either but i want people to know because everybody wasn't in the car with us that to listen to you talk about how you identify yourself and 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 the words that you use that you say that you're a teacher and you're a professor yeah. and that you're a yes. writer and an author and a speaker and to listen to kobe say that's interesting i identify as an actor and that all the okay, other good. words come yeah. separately. And to listen to both of you, 
I'll tell you, for both Rachel and I, it was a huge aha moment. And it made me think about the fact that you talk all the time about jobs and you talk about starting early and, and how important it is for all parents to have a plan to help their children to a career. And I, that's a very controversial topic too because we get parents who write in and say, but my child is so impacted that, you know, I don't know that they're ever gonna be able to work a job. But we've seen miraculous things, Dr. Grandin, here, and I'm sure that you have too, that people who previously would have, we, you know, people would have dismissed and said this pe person can't work, work a job, we found that they absolutely can. Have you seen that also? Oh, yes, absolutely. Let's start off with the first baby steps. I see too many parents overprotect their kid, 16-year-olds who might be doing quite well in school, never gone shopping, never um, had a bank account, um, uh, haven't ordered food at a restaurant by themselves. Let's first of all start off with these baby steps, and they need to start learning how to do a task outside the family on a schedule. So maybe an 11-year-old, this would replace the paper routes of the 50s, We'll walk the neighbor's dog. Mr. Jones is the boss, and he has to follow Mr. Jones's instructions. I think it's very important early on they get these experiences outside the family where somebody else is the boss. I think yeah. this is really important. Absolutely. I talked to a teenager very recently. She's very proud that she's a coffee lady at her church. Okay, th these kinds of things cost nothing to set up. There's yeah. no cost to setting them up. Yeah, well, we just... Uh, we... But they teach super important work skills. She's got to get that coffee made and get it done right. Yeah. We just had uh, the folks from the Ed Asner Center on the show a little while ago, and they have an academy now, and right now all of their students are doing internships at Funco. You know, Funko that makes the fun little dolls. And it's so okay. exciting for them. And they're learning all kinds of job skills there. I love those kinds of programs. I want to talk to the guy that you were talking about in Colorado. I don't know if you can connect me. I'd love to have him on the yes, show. Yes, I can. I can give you his okay. uh, phone number. I have it. All right. I want to get into... Andy Combs. That would be lovely. Yeah, because this, is a, this has been very successful. And then Project Search. I've just um, uh, looked up a new paper they came out with. And they're still having successes and they're branching out into non-hospital type of things because they got all the hospital jobs filled. Love it. Absolutely love it. We had a bunch of questions that came in that we asked for last night, and some of them are from some of my favorite people. Uh, Jess block who is a wonderful researcher and works, in, uh, she's a, a lecturer too, a college professor, works in public relations, and in particular in um, disability inclusion. And she wanted to know what you would want to see in new neurodiversity space in universities. Uh, what would you definitely not want to see? And that, you know, she's interested in knowing anything from, you know, material to approach to attitude to programming priorities, leadership. You're in the college space, you're teaching at a university and you see diversity there. What would you like to see? Well, there's about 10% of the autistic and dyslexic population that can see flicker on LED lights. Mm -hmm. And this makes the classroom be like a strobe light. And I just found out the student has this problem that our new lecture hall has this problem. Um, and I didn't know about testing things with a phone. You, you take pictures of that room in slow motion video and you can see it. Please, new construction, please don't install lights that flicker 
What a and great it, point. And it isn't necessarily the cheap ones that flicker. And some computer monitors will flicker. You might up the refresh rate. Uh, some flat screen TVs flicker and it has something to do with the internet connection. Um, the kinds of screens that absolutely don't flicker ever, laptops and tablets, they don't flicker. Wonderful. Well, and then there's, there's individuals that would have to use that for a computer. Um, but this can be a, a very bad problem. So what do you do if you're stuck in this classroom and you don't have any windows to put their desk next to? Well, then you buy an LED light, put it in a lamp, and you can get a battery-operated one, the fine one that doesn't flicker. And there's some cheap ones that don't flicker. Wear a hat and put it on the desk. There we go. I'm always trying to find the simple thing to do. So that's something physical. Another thing that would help, um, I have a terrible working memory, so I have to write down the steps of a task. Like people used to say, why do you take so many notes in math class? Mm -hmm. Because if I don't, I can't remember the steps. Yeah. I have to have an external working memory, bullet points like a pilot's checklist. The other big mistake that I see in students uh, but in all students, but it's worse in students that may be autistic or dyslexic, is when they get into trouble in a class, they don't ask for help soon enough. Mm -hmm. They wait until they fail the class. No, they need to get, ask for help when they fail the first quiz. And this is where I'm, I've gotten a lot more aggressive with my graduate students on saying now, okay, how did you do in your statistics quiz? I don't want to find out at the end of the class they failed. Yeah. Um, I stay on top of it a whole lot more. I found that I, that's really important. And I'm sure, I mean, because you're teaching every semester, I'm, I'm sure at this point you've had many students that have come in who are neurodiverse, who are now your students, correct? Yes, and I've had some. I've had some that have been very successful. And and, I, and then I've had, you know, I've you know, also had a student, I didn't realize that English was the, English was so bad that um, you didn't understand the directions of one of the assignments. Yeah. Well, it's difficult. And I didn't really understand that until <clears throat> talking to them extensively. I have 60 students in a class. Yeah. But I'm finding a lot of students today are um, they're more passive about speaking up. Yeah. They've gotten more passive. Because when I failed my first math quiz, I got help and I got it quickly and I did it on my own. Yeah. I was in a small college and I went to the teacher and he tutored me in his office. And when I was in graduate school, I had another grad student tutor me. I did something about it at the first hint of trouble. Do you think, And I just did that on my own. Is this a recent thing or do you th do you think that this is COVID related? I think there's a recent thing that's making this worse. Do you think it's COVID related to, to all COVID that? COVID would be part of it. Yeah. COVID's part of it, but I don't think it's all of it. Okay. So if there's parents that are watching what can we do at home to be helping that so that our students do speak up when they need help? Well, I think we need to be teaching them more basic life skills. I'm just appalled and I'm finding this all the time. Um, they're not learning basic things. I had a student last year in my class who had never measured anything with a ruler or tape measure. Yeah. She'd never measured. We got to get them out doing more things, not do everything for them. But I'm finding you know, some parents can't let go. Yeah. And then when I talk to the grandfathers that find out they're autistic, goes, well, I had a paper route at 11. And I had to get up at 5, then go get the papers and deliver them. And then I had to go around to the customers and get paid. 
Well, you know that I was one of those great opportunity to learn work skills. Yeah. You know that I was one of those parents and I still can be one of those parents. You, you're the person that when we went to lunch with my son and he threw me under the bus and told you that I, I wasn't letting him go to the men's room by himself. And you, you were like, that's it right now. That stops right here. You, you read me right. You better believe it Yeah. because you find your son is fully verbal. Yes. And what we did during lunch, and I'm not going to go into all the details because we're on, on the internet now. Yes. But I explained to him what the rules in the men's room were. Yes. Like, for example, guys don't talk to each other in, the, in, in their ladies do. And, you know, some rules. Just casually. Then at the end of the meal, I just casually said, okay, it's time to use the men's room. And he had to ask the waiter where it was. He went in and used it. Everything was fine. Yeah, he's been still using it ever that. since. Yes, he still talks about I was going to get that. over that right now. <laughs> I've also done two shopping things at the airports. I had a 12-year-old come up to me with her mom, get a picture, found out she hadn't shopped. So I gave her a $5 bill, and I said, go in that shop across the hall and buy something. Now it's right across the hall. Yeah. Also, this restaurant was not busy. It was like 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Exactly. So it was an ideal time. And she bought a drink, brought it back, and I had another uh, 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 kid that was in his teens go in the airport shop to buy something. And then I found out they didn't take cash. So we went in there and rescued him. But I was standing kind of watching with the mom. The mom wanted to go in there just instantly. Yeah. And I said, wait a minute, let's just see what's going on here. And then I realized the store didn't take cash. Um, but these are just very simple examples of overprotecting. And we were in a local restaurant. It was not busy. I wouldn't have sent them to the restroom, the crowded football stadium right. that was on the other end of the stadium. I wouldn't have done that. Yeah. I wouldn't have sent the girl to the next concourse to buy something at the airport. Right. And we I do want right to right I do want to say that I was the mom who was panicking, and you also were talking me off the ledge, saying he's fine. We're here. We're watching the door. Nothing's going to happen. Yeah, and then we could see where the door was. Yeah. Yeah, that's you took right. Care of all of us. It was right there. It was the similar to the um, uh, uh, similar to the airport store just being across the hall, and me and the mom sat in the gate room, and we could see the shop. Yes, yes. Everyone should have you go with them so that we can get our kids to do those things that we're afraid of. We've to got serve. to, you know. So that's three cases where I said this is going to be over with right now. Yeah, and it I, was amazing. Period. This is ridiculous. Jennifer St. Jude wants to know, Dr. Temple Grandin, what is something that you still dream of doing? Oh, I'd love to go on an orbital space flight. Well, I yeah, know that that's something I might dream of doing. I, I hope we get you on one of those. I know somebody wanted to know, there was a question that somebody had that they wanted to know if you've met Elon Musk yet and if you'd like to. Well, I haven't met him yet. I admire him greatly as an engineer. I'm... You know, Twitter, that's got a lot of social stuff. Um, maybe you should have stuck with the rockets and the uh, cars, whereas engineering is brilliant. Yeah. Because what he did to change the rocket field is absolutely amazing. He cut the price of a launch down by a third. Yeah. He found that off-the-shelf electronics works just fine. Yeah. You don't have to have special electronics. And then he has that reusable rocket booster. That's a major part of the rocket, and they had to make it land on its sail. That's really, really a feat of engineering. I've watched the videos of how that thing writes itself. Yeah. 
We, they um, did a it SpaceX, looks like it's fake, but it's not. They did a launch um, here just like two weeks ago out at Vandenberg. And of course, they don't tell us when they're going to do that. Um, but SpaceX did a launch and it filled up the night sky all over Southern California and everybody was going, what's going on? But it was a SpaceX launch. I would love to go to a launch. You've been well, to a launch. Well, I went to a SpaceX launch, just a regular one. Yeah. You see, and right now, um, you know, uh, SpaceX is an established company now and it just needs to crank out the launches. Yeah. And what happens with a lot of tech industry is you have the great visionary entrepreneur, but then when they business gets more routine, then they got to hire a suit. And SpaceX did that. They got a, I've forgotten her name, great lady suit. And um, she just cranks out the launches. You know, there's kind of two parts to starting a business. There's a startup phase, and then there's a point where you've got to hire more verbal thinker to just run that business. And it might be time for the entrepreneur to back off a little bit. You know, I've looked, seen this pattern over and over again. Every business, little guys innovate. Yeah. They, uh, come, they become big guys, but little guys innovate. That chat GPT was a small company. I looked into the history of the development of artificial intelligence, and people didn't think that neural networks were possible. Well, there was this graduate student named um, Alex, who was a brilliant programmer, and his professor said, why don't you take video game circuit boards? They're called graphic processor boards, and they were made by NVIDIA. NVIDIA is making a fortune now on AI. Wow. Um, and figure out how to make a neural network with it. Amazing. And NVIDIA wouldn't comp them to circuit boards. They had to buy them on Amazon, two of them. <laughs> Video game circuit boards. He did wow. it in his childhood bedroom. And that was the beginning. And the of paper got published, which tells how it works. It's got 120,000 some citations. Wow. One guy did wow. that. Power Might have been the most important package Amazon ever shipped. <laughs> and I actually looked up the circuit board numbers, and you know, it comes right up on Amazon, and you can buy them. They cost like $550 now for two wow. of them. Amazing. The but power that's one. a little guy. Yeah. And unfortunately, he's disappeared, and I can't find, I don't know where he's employed on anymore. Hmm. Kept, he's but he's that's, probably sitting um, on some money, don't you think? Well, I don't know how much money he made. Well, at least the nerds are um, are uh, recognizing by citing the paper. I never saw so many citations on the paper. Amazing. Crazy. Absolutely amazing. I, it makes me think, have you ever played any of the VR games? Has anybody ever put the VR goggles I, on? I, yes, I have tried the VR. I get a little bit disoriented. Um, one time they had it at the airport all set up and doing it. I had to hold on to the wall. Yeah. And get a chair. Yeah. It's, it's very, and, and, very um, interesting. And it, one thing that was interesting, I could turn my head. There was one of the demo things was a boat ride. And I could turn my head and and see around. I thought the images were blurry. They still looked kind of fake. Oh. Um, and, you know, that Facebook started trying to start that big VR thing. And yeah. it hasn't taken off the way they hoped it would. No, but I'd like to have, I, sometime when we're together again, I'd like for you to see, because they've, they've improved the images now. You feel like you're there. There's even one where you can be the captain of the Starship Enterprise. Oh, that sounds like fun. I'd like to try that. <laughs> I'd um, like to be there when you try that. Yeah, uh, I'd like to try that. That I definitely would like to try. Yeah. And I, uh, but the thing is, what I'm seeing was holding these kids back is they're just not getting out and just doing normal stuff, like yeah. buy stuff in a store or uh, yeah, absolutely. Learn how to save money.
But I got to tell you, there's a whole line of VR games that I think if they ever get around to using the VR games to help teach job skills, there was well, one... Well, actually, I actually was reading a thing the other day and that had some efficacy using VR to teach interviewing skills. There was, there's one that I, I was doing that I had to fry an egg and it was all VR, but I had to use all the same skills and it, and it would flash on the screen and say, turn the egg over now. And the first time I burned the egg, but then it let me try again and I was like, man, this would be good for job skills. Um, well, yeah, and I, there was a, I was looking at journal articles, and there was one on using VR to teach interviewing skills. There we go. And, and yeah, that could be helpful. And even driving, that they're saying that it's helpful for teaching driving. Well, driving, yes. Because what I found driving is I had to do just, uh, fortunately, my aunt's mailbox was three miles away on a dirt road. So that gave me 36 miles of driving a week. Amazing. And I really emphasize when you first start, to learn how to operate the car, be somewhere where if the car lurches, it can't hit anything. Yeah, it's, middle of a big parking lot. I have to tell no, you, I already it's heard so about somebody now. autistic kid uh, trying to start a car, put, you know, uh, lurched it over a curb in a parking space and messed up the car, hit a light pole in a yeah. in a parking lot. Okay, I'd rather find a parking lot with no light poles. But if you got light poles, you need to orient the car so if it lurched 50 feet either way, it's not gonna hit anything. Yeah, absolutely. And maybe VR could cut down on the amount of practice time they need because of uh, multitasking issues and processor speed you've got to learn how to operate the car on autopilot it's called motor memory before you touch traffic yeah and maybe a, a really good simulator could reduce that practice time but oh. right now the technology we got right now i'm telling parents open field gigantic big parking lot and you start there and you learn how to operate the vehicle without thinking about, I'm going to say maybe 20 minutes a day for a month or more. Yeah, absolutely. And then you carefully go into traffic and you can find places to practice where there's almost no traffic, deserted office parks on a weekend. Uh, Denver Tech Center, um, I've been in there on a weekend to get to a hotel or a meeting, wasn't any cars there. Yeah. I... And then you then you gradually work into the traffic and do it gradually and maybe VR could cut this down yeah but as of right now on until they get the technology perfected I'm going to just recommend it's 20 minutes a day totally safe place for a month or more then very carefully go into little tiny traffic love it so they, they what happens when this the driving I was just looking they a lot of um, looking at a paper about this is they don't have any confidence that they can do it. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say, yes, they can do it. It's going to take longer to learn. And let's take the time to learn. I love that. And Amanda start out in a place where there is no danger, even in a parking lot with posts, with light poles. Orient the car so that if it jerked forward or back, it can't possibly hit one. There we go. Amanda's got a question for you that I want to know your answer to. She says, how important is it to teach my 15-year-old to read aloud fluently? He does fine reading to himself and answering questions, but when he has to read aloud, he becomes frustrated. Well, it's not a skill that uh, you really need. Now, I learned how to read at age eight by reading aloud. It made it easier for me to learn how to read. But okay, if he reads really well, I mean, usually you're not asked to read stuff aloud. There's other skills I put a higher priority on. If he already uh, uh, reads fine and has good reading comprehension. There we go. 
Uh, Eric has written in and said, good morning. I wanted to ask something that may have been brought up, but I wanted to see. How can we find sources or teaching strategies to teach my kids how to read? They are eight and not reading at their level. I am just worried about their reading and comprehension. Thank you. And for well, me, I, I want to hear what that. you have to say, Dr. Granite, but for me, you know, there's reading and a lot of our kids can read, but then there's further to get into the comprehension because there can be reading without the comprehension. Okay, well, let's, I could not read at age eight. Okay. And what worked for me, I already knew my alphabet song, and I knew my alphabet, um, is we took a book, The Wizard of Oz, Mother did, and she taught me my sounds, and she'd read a page, stop in an interesting part, and have me sound out some words. It was all done out loud. Now, that worked for me at age eight. Absolutely worked for me. Amazing. And i um, but then there's other kids that pick up whole words and phonics does not work. But phonics done that way very simply and about an hour, four times a week. And by the end of the semester, I was reading at the sixth grade level. Now comprehension, we got to look at that on what we're comprehending. I prefer to read a lot of technical stuff. My idea of some fun breakfast reading is to just sit down for breakfast with a great copy of nature, which is, um, science magazine telling about new discoveries i just love that stuff that that's that's kind of breakfast reading now there's comprehension let's say starts at the vocabulary level let's just start there jane went to the store and bought bread okay what did jane do but then you get comprehension up to the next level jane went to the store and bought cake mix and birthday candles all right now what is jane going to do obviously bake a birthday cake for a birthday party. Um, that's a kind of a little higher up um, comprehension. Yeah, inference. And and I, the, I actually prefer the stuff where I liked reading about the, the uh, guy that uh, took two um, graphics uh, circuit boards and uh, formed, figured out how to make a neural net, how to make a video game circuit boards uh, start the beginnings of artificial intelligence. Has everybody been ripping their hair out before? And, but I'd rather read about that. I so find that kind of stuff like, interesting. I, I find that stuff super interesting to read about. And you notice I'm not remembering the names very well. But it sounds like that part of this is finding something that would be of interest to them. Like when you were a kid, your mother chose the Wizard of Oz because it would be interesting. Now, now you're older and your area that you're interested in is a magazine that is a little bit, some of us would consider not fun reading, but it's what you're interested in. Oh, well, I think it's fun reading. Yeah. And, and you know, I, and I like to figure things out. I've been kind of figure out stuff about this door that came off this plane. That was a real mess. Oh, yeah. And I got to thinking, like the, the uh, if the bolts had not been put in there, there's probably no marks on the bracket that you would have put the bolts through. And so I'd the... go to another plane and I uh, take that thing apart. I want to see what the marks look like, if it's bolted correctly. And are you and at the point the marks, where you can just call them and find the that out? In. I don't know, but I just said on the Colorado Matters, that's how I'd approach it. Yeah. Um, did the people in the shop put the bolts in there? Then I found out that the shop was owned by private equity. And that's a warning sign. Oh, dear. Pushing, pushing. Yeah. They laid off a lot of people off during COVID. Another problem. Oi. 
scary. Yeah, that was uh, that's very bad what happened. Very bad. Uh, very, Amber very wants bad. to know. And it probably was sloppy workmanship. And scary because we get on a plane and we don't know. Amber wants yeah, to know. Stay out of row 26. Is that the row, the magic row you don't want to be in? That's the row I'm always in row 26. I'm going to have to reevaluate. Well, yeah, that, that, that plug door for the unused emergency exit is always in that row. Okay, good to know. Amber wants to know, I'm interested to know if Dr. Grandin recognized experiences sensations like pain or sensitivity to hot or cold in a different way than many people do. I've noticed that it is often difficult for my son to identify what something physical is causing him pain or discomfort and what he is feeling. Once we are I don't have any problem with that. Like my foot tendon hurt. I, uh, I was at a trade show and I tried one of these massage chairs and man, this thing's aggressive. I think it hurt my leg tendon, oh. and and I, yeah, that's a pulled tendon. I know it's nothing to do with emotions. And then I found some exercises to stretch it by on the stairs. But when and you were I, a kid, I, you know, fix that. I mean, I, I got to start wearing a foot brace. That will fix it. Oh, man. You know, they they. Uh, I know what that is. It's not emotional, but I think sometimes that emotions can change how much you react to something like the pain okay when you also i find that something that hurts is worse trying to get to sleep at night but i can tell the difference between something that's emotional and something physical but when you were a kid because i've seen this in a lot of and i certainly saw this in my son that he was very confused about if he felt discomfort um, and I would, and I would have to language it for him. I would say, you're, you're cold right now. We need to put on the jacket because you're cold right now. But he often got it flipped. He would say, I'm hot because he, he couldn't, he had a hard time identifying his states. Were you like that as a child? Do you recall? No, I wasn't able to identify hot and cold. I mean, this is where some of the sensory stuff, some of the sensory stuff is different. Well, cause they're all individuals. So no, I could identify hot and cold and okay. Um, now, when I had major surgery, I had a nurse say that uh, I didn't require quite as much pain medication. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, if I have major surgery, I'd have a giant fibroid that was like that big taken out that grew in like a month. Wow. And uh, so I've got a gigantic incision. And they sent me home with a 30-day supply of the uh, Oxycontin stuff. I think I didn't two of them. And I... Uh, chucked out the rest of them. Thank God, because that's... And then terrible. I was just um, made sure that I didn't stand too long. I got three book chapters written during that operation. Wow. I was very careful about what the, any way about, said, pick up nothing heavier than a book. Yeah. And I was very, very careful about that. And if I stood too long, it would hurt. Um, and I got three book chapters written. Which book was that? That was my very early textbook in early 1993, Livestock Handling and Transport, a strictly a livestock textbook. Wow. Well, Betty has written in and wants to know, which one of your books is best to give a parent of a newly diagnosed five-year-old? A newly diagnosed, I've got a little small book. It's called Autism and Education, the way I see it. It's kind of a little gray and white book. It's real concise and short. Great book for three-year-old. And the thing is, if he's not talking, he's got to get services. Yeah. I don't know where this mom is. 
but let's say there's a problem with getting services or having to wait a year for it, and the kid's not talking, you're going to start doing something with them. And sometimes grandmothers can be very good at working with these kids. What I have found is that some teachers have the knack and some don't. But you got to start working with this kid and start with playing little turn-taking games. The mom cannot do it all herself. If she tries to do all the therapy herself, she's going to get completely stressed out. That's something that doesn't work. But Amen. you can't sit for another year and a half. No. You need to start working with the child, engage them in little turn-taking games, You know, try to teach them some words for favorite toys or foods, things you'd be interested in, and skills, putting clothes on, things like that, Absolutely. eating with utensils. Yeah. I, I love seeing people in the kitchen with their kids, teaching them yes. how to prepare food. Absolutely. Uh, because absolutely. that's primary. Absolutely. Let them mix the cookie dough. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Seamus exactly. wants to know, can you talk about different types of brains and how they see things differently and learn things differently? Uh, Seamus says, I've tried explaining it to my wife, but you're better at it. <laughs> okay. Well, I would recommend my new book, Visual Thinking. The Hidden Gifts of People Who Think in Pictures, Patterns, and Abstractions. And it actually presents research that shows that different kinds of thinking exist. And I would have them read at least the first part of the book. Okay. And then I think they'll get a better understanding. Deidre says, many people think that those of us on the spectrum have no empathy. I think that this is ridiculous. What do you say to people like that? Well... I say I do have empathy, but there's some very subtle social things where, which I don't pick up. You see, one of the problems with a lot of the little social things is they happen very quickly. And I've got processor speed issues. I can't follow very fast chit-chat conversations where people are kind of rhythmically laughing about something. And it's a conversation where uh, there's not much content in it. Yeah. In fact, somebody wrote in a question about the fact that you have said before that you really, here it is, Sarah says, I've heard you say that you don't like small talk. Do you feel as if, uh, as a professional woman, that it would have helped you to work on it or not? Do you feel like it's just a skill? Well, I've learned to work on it. Uh, weather's one of my favorite subjects. I just have to make sure I don't go on and on about too much technical stuff about what weather does to flying or something like that. I uh, But that's a safe subject to talk about okay all right and so my small talk will be oh man it's cold i hope uh, i've got to um, go out after the after i do another zoom call and i just hope the car is going to start i wish we would all stop the small talk i wish we would all just make an agreement and say it's not necessary anymore but i guess people get nervous well have... there's things where when i was in in the 80s when i was getting my phd at the university of illinois some of the faculty thought i was stuck up because I didn't say hi in the hall. That's an easy thing to learn how to do. Okay. I'm going to call this just basic social. Okay. And you just do it. And, and there's all this controversy now about masking. Saying hi in the hall, good morning and please and things like that. That's so easy to do. Now, where I, I've, where I've talked to some people about the masking issue. Now, if I had to follow a lot of really fast conversation, I have to really concentrate and they talk about being exhausted at the end of the day. Yeah, that would be masking. And one lady in Des Moines, she was at a very nice autistic adult panel. There's this panel, we didn't have any of the weird politics that's going on. And I said, what is masking for you? She said, if I'm exhausted at the end of the day, just from conversation or whatever, then that's masking. 
but to say hi in a hallway to greet people and just say something oh it's cold outside or something like that's so easy to do you just learn how to do that i call that well since i'm very much into job business social there we go uh sanjay says i've seen you talk about screen time and the importance of not letting it take all your child's time but i think i've already failed he is addicted what can i do now without creating a battle zone is there a way to wean off of it yes it's been uh, for young adults i have talked and this is separate from danny combs's program uh five or six successes where young adults were weaned off of video games with auto mechanics Mm. and it was done gradually and what they found is motors were more interesting than video games. You have to replace it with something else. And it's done slowly. And there'd be some choices of some different things that they would try. But this actually worked. And then one guy ended up uh, fixing trains for the railroad. And they're loving them. But you have to replace it with something else. And um and you see, and then with kids, let's just do what we did in the 50s. TV was one hour a day on the weekdays and two hours on the weekends. And then there were some special exceptions for when we watched The Wizard of Oz. You see, and another reason why that book was good, I already knew The Wizard of Oz story. Because we watched the movie. Yeah. Before it was ever used to teach reading. Amazing. I love that. Uh, Harrison says, I would give anything to understand why my son burrows his head into my belly whenever he sees me. He tries to take off my shirt. He has come close to knocking me off my feet. Can you help me to understand what sensory need that is and how to fill it? Well, I could, I'd like to find some other way to fill that sensory. And, and uh, because that's not a good thing that he's doing. Yeah. Um, I don't know whether the child's verbal or not. And if he's nonverbal, we've got to give him a way to communicate. Not being able to communicate is so, so frustrating. I can remember when I couldn't talk, I would scream to communicate because I didn't have any other way to communicate. And, and then, of course, you always, with any kind of behavior, you've got to rule out hidden painful medical. There we go. Because it can't tell you about it. Acid reflux is probably big number one. And does he tend to do this when in a noisy environment or, or you know, they, but there's other ways, you know, you could do some deep pressure that maybe satisfies some of those needs. See, this is where I need more information to troubleshoot it. Okay. If that dad is listening live, please write in and give us more. Paula says, we're dealing with crippling anxiety. My son is 12, and, and it was bad before, but since puberty started six months ago, it seems worse. Did you have anxiety, and how do you deal oh, with it? Oh, yeah, I had anxiety to start at puberty. And the hormones hit horrible, crippling anxiety, mm-hmm. crippling. And I think it's innate. And as I went through my 20s, it got worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. Health got worse and worse and worse. Nonstop colitis. And then I went on a low dose of an antidepressant medication. And I'd recommend that you read my old book, Thinking in Pictures. I have a whole chapter in there called A Believer in Biochemistry, where I, I discuss my experience with antidepressants. They saved me. I've been on the same low dose for 40 years. I make sure I, when I travel, the prescription's in two different bags so that I'd always have it. And 
I'm one of these people where I had to have, um, I used to say the old DuPont slogan, better living through chemistry, basically. Um, and I resisted the idea of taking medication. But I found out my fear center is like three times larger than normal. And my nervous system actually had something wrong with it. Mm. And the other bad thing I've seen, I've seen situations where people went on a Prozac or some other drug, worked super well for them. And they go, oh, I don't need this anymore. Mm. And that was really, really bad. Just last year, I talked to a lady um, doing a real creative type of job. And she was taking a Prozac, one of the other drugs that's an SSRI, working great. She went off of it. And then to get back on, it, 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 she had to go on a higher dose, and it took a long time to get the nervous system readjusted. And if you're bipolar, please, if you're stable and the drugs are, don't have bad side effects, stay on your meds. Yeah, Can't emphasize that enough. I'm, I'm, I've been on it 40 years. I've, I've never, you know, and I think it's really, it really helped me. Wow. And now I'm postmenopausal. Could I get off of it? I don't want to do that experiment. It's I appreciate just that. that simple. Um, but the anxiety was crippling. Mm. Now, vigorous exercise is also important. I do my hundred sit-ups every night. Hate every one of them. And you also need to do that. Vigorous exercise. You could try that first. Bursts of hard exercise. Um, but I'm one of those people where... I think I'd actually be dead if I hadn't gone on the drug because in my early 30s, colitis was ripping my body apart. Mm. I would have ended up having to have half my gut taken out. And just so being on that med helped with the colitis or did you also have to do Oh, the, the colitis cleared up. Wow. It cleared it up. Now I just have a little bit of it now. 90%. That's a testament. Cleared it up. So my body was no longer in a constant state of fear stress mm -hmm. over nothing. Yeah. Wow. And it's a low dose. Okay. The mistake that's made a lot of times with antidepressants is too high a dose. And then you get agitation and insomnia. I've had parent after parent say, oh, we tried a little bit of Zola. Well, we tried a little bit of Prozac. We doubled the dose and the kid couldn't sleep and yeah. agitation. Yeah. I have seen that. But you don't. You have to get the right low dose. Okay. Felicia wants to know, do you have food selectivity where you only want to eat certain things and how do you deal with that? She says, my child only eats three things, chips, nuggets, and mac and cheese. All right. Well, I'm very concerned there because I just talked to a parent about a month ago. Her kid was eating a very restricted diet. He got scurvy. Mm. That, you know, I'm very concerned about the old vitamin deficiency diseases that they used to use to learn about the deficient in different vitamins. And I'll get no vitamin D and you get rickets, yeah. soft bones. And his kid had scurvy. Wow. And they put him on some vitamin C supplements and that got rid of the scurvy. Uh, but I'm very concerned about these very, very limited diets. You, he must get a multiple vitamin. Absolutely must. Okay. Just to make sure that we're not getting a natural nutritional deficiency. So what, we can, what can we do to get them to eat more different things get them involved in food preparation in the kitchen we can play in it feel it touch it gush your hands around in it dining room we have to have manners but in the kitchen we can play in it sometimes that helps if you get them involved in food preparation love that uh serena wants to know do you have a best friend and was it hard for you to make or keep friends and what helped you 
Well, I even high school when I got bullied and teased, I did have some best friends. I had a was in a boarding school and I had a roommate that we were best friends riding horses together. Friends through shared interests. I cannot emphasize that enough. Okay, so we can geek out and yak about uh, concrete forming systems. I had a very good friend in the construction, a, a guy named Jim, who had a small construction company all through the 70s. We were best friends building all kinds of projects together, but it usually is friends through a shared interest. Yeah. And the other thing you have to learn is even with a best friend, there's a point where, you know, you got to get it apart and not yak your head off too much. <laughs> but I did have that. I've always had at least some very good friends and mentors. I'm Ann out at the ranch. I remember when I had a very bad eye surgery thing that got me very stressed out. That lovely lady named Penny Porter who had a beautiful ranch was over at her house. She had all kinds of glaucoma problems. And we kind of uh, talked about endlessly about eye problems. And she said, you will get over it. It's going to be all right. And that helped. I love it. Kathy wants to know, I would like to know what your favorite time of day is and why. Well, I get my best writing and work done in the morning. So after I've geeked out on my science magazines, um, then that's when I try to get my very best writing done. Okay. Uh, Elizabeth said, says, what is the single best thing your mom did for you that helped you to be successful? Well, she taught me to read. That would be one big thing. And then the other thing is she had a very good sense of how to push me to try new things, always giving some choices, knowing when she could expect the behavior and when I might be getting too overwhelmed. She realized that when I got tired, I was more likely to have a tantrum. And just, you know, too many kids today are babied, but she had just a really good instinct on just what I was capable of doing. Amazing. Sounds like she listened. Um, Juanita wants to know, what do you think is the greatest challenge for people on the spectrum in 2024? Well, that's almost to, to I, it's going to depend whether you've got a parent with a new kid. Uh, in terms of getting services, it varies a lot by state. You know, there's a, there's some places in the U.S. where, you know, a little kid's on a wait list for two years. That's real bad. I no, I almost can't. Uh, I wouldn't it's too know. broad. Right now, I'm what I've been noticing overall, over all of 40 years I've been doing autism talks is that little kids programs are gotten better, and that that's that's something that's the good thing. But where there's a big stumbling block is that adolescence and making a transition into adult activities such as work. That is a major problem. And because I worked with uh, skilled mechanics and welders who invented equipment that owned shops that were probably on the autism spectrum. But and, then I, and then junior, and, the, and those mechanics are not getting replaced right now. We can't find people to fix stuff in the meat plants yeah. because they're retiring out. Yeah. I'm um, now the kid that's needed to keep factories running is uh, playing video games in the basement. There's a relationship here. This is the reason I also, in my visual thinking book, I discuss skill loss. I've been on some very questionable elevators lately. 
very questioned. Even in good hotels, they're not being serviced. Perfect job for a visual thinker on the spectrum, fixing elevators. He'll be a total elevator geek. And then when they go to the elevator convention, they can geek out. I'm laughing because I was there when you spoke at the Taka conference in October, and you had gotten on the elevator, and one of the elevators, like the ex, it, it, it was past its expiration, it needed to be evaluated, and now every time I got it, I get it on an elevator, I look to see what's the date on the thing because of you. Uh, that's okay. why I'm laughing. Uh, David wants to know which of your books is your favorite and why. Well, I've always liked my original autobiography, but I think one of my favorite books right now is Visual Thinking, mm -hmm. because I'm just so concerned that because of things like algebra requirements and draconian math requirements, we're screening out a lot of kids that we need for a lot of skilled trade jobs. That, and I think it's a very, very a big concern. I can't do abstract higher math. So how to get a PhD? Well, I majored in psychology. It was one of the ways. Dodge a bunch of math classes. Tutor, 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 tutor through statistics. That's what I had to do. But I'm, no, I think I'm not suggesting that a high school kid get out of all math. Let's substitute the algebra for maybe geometry, business math, accounting, or statistics. Some things that would be easier to visualize. But some people think you need algebra to think logically, no, that's not how I think. I just see things like, okay, like this thing that they actually put the bolts on that door. Yeah. Well, you're going to go back to the airplane on the slot where that door goes. Are there any marks on it? Yeah. Does that thing make a mark when you put a bolt on it? I'd get that part, just that one part, and put bolts on it, torque them to the correct torques to make a mark on it. I want to find out if they leave a bolt out. Yeah. Scary Were they stuff. not tighten it? Yeah. Yeah, but you see, I'm seeing it. Yes. I am seeing it. And well, I don't think they're going to find the bolts. They managed to find a working cell phone that fell out of that plane. I know. And I'm going, I how could that, that phone survive? I well, saw that. Well, it was right that. next to a big bushy bush bush. Yeah. It was maybe six, eight feet high. And I think it fell in those bushes and then flipped out on the grass by the road. Amazing. And still working. Craziness. Oh, yeah. It still worked. Yeah. Yeah. I saw it was that. in airplane mode and it wasn't locked out and they brought the guy's boarding pass up on it. Amazing. Yeah, I, I actually saw that picture. Uh, I had the privilege. They crossed out the last four digits of his credit card number. Thank goodness. Oh, that's yeah. Thank goodness for that. I had the privilege of being with you at uh, Johnson, uh, NASA, Johnson Airspace, and watching, I, you, there was a place, I, I'm sure you remember, there was a glove that they were showing the inner work. Yes, yes, workings. I remember that glove. Yep, I remember that. And, and it was fascinating to watch you, because you talk about how you were, you're seeing the bolts on the plane and looking for the mark. And it was so educational for me to be there with you because they were touring and they were showing us all these robots and they had the hand and the glove there. And, and, I, and it was just interesting to watch you look at it and see the problems and ask questions. Well, the it was two things. I tried on a spacesuit glove, which felt like a very, very heavy winter glove. Yeah. And then um, they had robotic hand with little cables that went through it. Yeah. And I'm going, I can see some maintenance issues with this. And then I was trying to figure out how I could, if I have to replace those strings, and, and the engineer got mad because I called them strings. Yeah. They were some type of, str of a, 
you know, maybe That's a competent exactly what material it looked like. string. I have a picture and of you with it. And how I'd thread that back through in weightlessness. Yes. I'd have to have some little, like, crochet hooks I could put up in there to pull them out. And, and uh, the engineer got a little annoyed. The guy could see that hand yeah. uh, having maintenance issues. But it was And another thing I saw, we went in the space shuttle mock-up. There was this switch that said pyro. <laughs> and there was no guard on it. And I said, what does that switch do? He says, well, if we have to, we can blast the payload out of the shuttle bay. I said, don't you think that should have a guard? <laughs> yes. And uh, there's very good guards of military puts on those kind of switches. So there's no yeah. way you could accidentally hit the switch that said pyro. Yeah. And I remember an uh, uh, oh, oh, astronaut that was with him, terrible on names. He gave me a beautiful signed picture. Oh. And he says, you're very observant. Yes. It was, it was such a privilege to be with you that day. And, and you're getting really you faint. I can't hear you. Oh, have you lost me? Have you got me? Can you hear me now? Yeah, well, I can hear you, but you're faint. Something's. This is this is why I always use handheld mics because. Oh, I was probably moving too much. It was just such a privilege to be there and watch you think through problems and have you ask questions that that they were like, oh, we didn't see it that way. Because you always talk about the fact that we need people on the spectrum. This is why you need visual thinkers. Like, I took a biomedical class that I had to drop because I couldn't do the math. Yeah. But there was this screw-up with artificial hips that was really bad. It was a metal on metal, like the socket and the ball joint were both metal. And there was some kind of gunk that formed there that caused big trouble for people. Yeah. I wouldn't have made that mistake. I would have right. seen the gunk, and I would have gone, hmm, what? this ain't going to work. Yeah. Very thinkers. early on, going, no, this... Uh, this metal on metal hip, at least the way it's made now, is not going to work. Uh, you see, you need the non-mathematician to see these kind of things. That was a major mistake. Yeah. Yes. But we see that across all kinds of things. So, you know, making the case, we need people on the spectrum. We need visual thinkers and all We need, the other thing I discussed in this book is complementary skills. Because I worked with a lot of very skilled people that invented all kinds of mechanical equipment. Yeah. But you know what? My kind of mind doesn't touch boilers and refrigeration. We don't understand it. That requires too much math. But the thing is, what we've lost is we're losing the clever engineers. So right now, if you want to build a poultry processing plant, you've got to import all the equipment from Europe in 100 shipping containers. Yes. I'm not talking about cheap stuff here. It's super expensive to import that from Europe. Yeah. And, and we don't make them here anymore, although they're making No, we don't those, make that stuff yeah. here. But we need you want to. to see something as an example of clever chick, uh, clever engineering, you can look up the Apollo Chicken Harvester okay. on YouTube. It looks like a combine. You it picks I up will. live chickens. It actually does it really well. It's from Italy. Interesting. We're, that's we're, an example of what I would call clever engineering. Amazing. We've only got one non-mathematical side of engineering. We've only got one minute left because I promised you you'd be done by 9.30 our time, 10.30 your time. But I wanted to take a second. Have, we're to, coming up on a hard stop. Yep. So. But I wanted to take just a second and thank you for taking the time. Thank you for all that you do. Um, is there some place, one of the questions people had is where can they see you speaking? Where should they go to see where you're going to be live this year? Well, they'll just have to look around online. Okay. And uh, a lot of my videos are out there. I always give people permission to record. And I hope you recorded all of this. Oh, it's recorded. It's going to replay in a half an hour. Okay. Um, and uh, they can uh, go watch videos you've done uh, with me. We have a whole playlist on our YouTube channel that's called Talking with Temple. 
Um, but also look, if you go to FH Autism, I think it's... Yeah, FHAutism.com sometimes has some of my speaking engagements. Yes, um, and there's also your website. So check that out. Dr. Grannon, we just adore you, and thank you so much for taking the time. I know you're busy today, but we really appreciate you being with us. I'm going to let you go. Well, so thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Take care. Okay. All Bye -bye. right. I'm going to sign off and get on my other meeting. Thank you so much. Thank you, everybody. So th this uh, episode will replay in just a half an hour on our regular live time so that if you missed it, you've got an opportunity to see it, and then it will be available later on today as a podcast. Thank you, everybody, for writing in your wonderful questions. I know we didn't get to all of them, but we got to a lot of them. And we are going to be back on Monday with a really exciting topic. Um, we, the, the, the entire, <laughs> I, I think it's the entire city of Anaheim has, uh, is, is starting a process to get as many of their companies and businesses there certified to be able to deal effectively with people that are on the autism spectrum. It's a huge, huge thing that they're doing um, and that more and more businesses are jumping on board. We're going to be talking with the, the movers and shakers who are making that happen in Anaheim along with Gabriella Tessier is going to join us. She's doing a project with them. She is the morning anchor for Univision, and she is also about to start being the host of our new program here on the Autism Network, Autismo y Comunidad. And uh, so we're very excited to have her with us on that show talking about what's happening in Anaheim and why every city should be doing what Anaheim is doing. So that will be Monday's show. Until then, give your kid as a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now. If you found anything helpful in this video, please give us a like. In fact, make sure that you smash that subscribe button on YouTube and give us a like on Facebook. You can also follow us on Twitter and on Instagram for important updates. And please download our free podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much. See you next time.